Welcome to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust, a podcast for digital transformation leaders where we discuss the latest cyber attack issues, enterprise security strategies, and current security events so that you can successfully accelerate network and security transformation. And now here's what's on our mind this week. Welcome back everyone to another episode of Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. I'm your host, Pam Kubiatowski, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. Um, it's really exciting as we are being listened to in over 50 countries in the world, which is so appropriate for today's conversation as I'm so excited to actually welcome Zscaler's advisor, one of our advisors, and CTO of South Africa's largest bank, Andrew Baker. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much. That's um, that's a scary statistic, 50 countries, wow. It's amazing. Andrew is a technology blogger with more than 40,000 LinkedIn followers, which blows my mind, 40,000. And he's actually a sought-after speaker on topics including cybersecurity, fraud, zero-trust strategies, cloud, and distributed ledger technology. He joins us actually from South Africa. And before we jumped on, Andrew was telling us, interestingly enough, that they're having, is it minor rolling blackouts in South Africa, Andrew? Could you, could you give our listeners, because we did have some, some challenges getting on here with Andrew this morning. Yes. Yeah, it was it? it um, look, we. It's not. It's not a new thing. It's been in the country for a little while. It's definitely uh, has peaks and troughs, and and now we're in a, a bit of a peak. And so for a number of hours a day, like I think at the moment it's about five or six hours a day, um, they turn the power off uh, in different regions. You know, so um, so yeah, I went before the before the call. <laughs> I have to run around and make sure there's a signal in the room and. Uh, swap between devices and had a bit of gymnastics, but um, apparently it will be fixed at some point. So, but a couple not. years yet to go. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think it makes it very interesting for technology leaders to figure out how do you keep the business running when you have challenges such as rolling power outages. But coming back, we are going to actually discuss your career and your experience with zero trust implementations. And actually, what it means to be a CTO in a hev heavily regulated banking industry. But before we dive in, Andrew, to your background and, and so forth, okay, for our listeners, what is a distributed ledger? Uh, okay, so so like I guess um, one of the things you have to do if you're a CTO is the um, um, emerging technology comes up and and you have to start researching it, it's your job. So it shouldn't be a case of, of getting a load of consultants in to create PowerPoint to show your organization, you know, what this new technology can do. And I guess you could look at AI as the as the current thing that people are excited about. About, uh, about five, six, maybe even longer years ago, everyone got super excited about distributed le ledger technology. Um, initially it came from blockchain, um, and so blockchain is part of that family. Um, there were a number of challenges with blockchain uh, technology. For example, it kind of taps out at about seven transactions a second. So, that, you know, that, that's not a good throughput for a global payment platform. Um, and so this family of technologies came out called distributed ledger technologies, and they tried to take the heart of blockchain principles and apply it with different choices of technology and that whole family ethereum is a distributed ledger blockchain is a dis and there's many different variants for that uh and 
and some of the properties that they exhibit, they 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 allow they, they're supposed to be censorship resistant, um, and uh, and and it, as the name suggests, it's a, a bunch of dis distributed ledgers that talk to each other and coordinate tra transactions, typically through something like it's called proof of work or proof of stake, and eventually they come up with a consensus. So uh, it's a fascinating technology. Um, it hasn't had the impact that people have thought that it could have had yet. Um, and there are there are a number of technical obstacles to it, particularly around consistency. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it, I think that what, one of my predictions for, for distributed ledger technology is the thing that it could solve actually is digital identity. And so we're very focused on payment and store of value but actually, what, there's a there's a company called Sovereign, or it's actually a foundation called Sovereign Foundation, and they're focused on using distributed ledger technology to solve your digital identity. And for me, that is probably one of the most compelling use cases, and it actually fits very nicely within zero trust as well. One of one of one of the things you still have to solve in a zero trust network is who is that, uh, and and self sovereign identity or double uh, SI uh, is a is a very very emergent. Um, solution for that. That's very interesting. Now that we kind of have an idea, of, you know, tying back into blockchain and the technology behind it, let's let's kind of pivot and talk to uh, talk about your career. You have a very interesting background, and it spans multiple disciplines. Can you uh, briefly take us through your career and how you ultimately became the CTO? Yeah, um, I, uh, how I ultimately became a CTO is is a really interesting. I, I don't know if I can answer that question, uh, but I, I can certainly talk you through through the through the career. Uh, there, there was no planning to 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 my career at all. So there wasn't. A, there's never been a drive to uh, elevate. I, I haven't had that desire to be more senior. Um, it, in my in my head, it always feels like it will be more painful. Um, to become more senior, so that wasn't that wasn't a drive. I've always been seduced by complexity, definitely. I've always and so I've always favoured going after complicated problems. Um, and so I started off as a civil engineer. Actually, it was, actually my very first job uh, was in a butcher, a butcher's cleaning industrial freezers when I was about eleven or twelve years old. So I've been working my whole life, but my first postgraduate. Um, job was a civil engineer, and I used to write models, uh, finite difference models. And this was, I, I used to write the software myself, because it would take like 500 pages of calcs to do that. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And um, I was talking to a recruitment agent who I knew, and he said, you should go and work for a bank. And so they convinced me that I should work for a bank. And I went for the interview there. Uh, and I started work with Chase Manhattan, who was bought out by JP Morgan, and I was doing something called sector bump analysis. I was analyzing baskets of derivatives to see what their value would do as the market moves around. Then I moved, I'm going to compress this, then I moved into high, and that's quite a complicated problem because there wasn't really distributed technologies uh, available. So you had to, I had to use a technology called DCOM. Please do, do not Google that. That will definitely show my age. And then, and then I moved into high frequency trading, and I really, really, really enjoyed that. That was an incredibly complex thing to do with, with, for about 12 years and very competitive. And you were kind of competing with the best technologists on the planet at that point in time. And, I, and that was a, a huge amount of fun. What happened was that the company that I was working for, the bank that I was working for at that time, had a lot of problems with payments. And they were like, this HFT stack never went down. It never fell. 
We never had issues with it. It worked 24 by 7. We didn't have software update problems. They literally ran 60 exchanges globally with billions of dollars going through it and not one issue with it. And they're saying, surely you can solve our payments systems. You know, it's got to be similar. So then I got, I started looking at that and then, and then things went a bit fuzzy and, and you got more and they're like, surely cyber problems are similar to pay, pay, you know. And so you, you end up like saying, oh yeah, that's, how, and yeah, so it, it, I ended up getting seduced into more problems. Um, and, uh, before I knew it, I, I, I had like a, a kind of architectural role, which ended up becoming a, a CTO role at, at, a, at a big bank, uh, in, in Africa. And uh, we were looking after data payments. I guess, I guess, really core engineering services for for the organization. Uh, I, I don't even remember how that happened. I'm pretty sure I didn't agree to it. I don't remember signing anything, but but something happened. A lot. Someone did something clever to kind of convince me it was a good idea. It's before you know it, right? Years have gone by, and you look back and you're like, "How did I get here?" Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but you took you took that hands on that technical, really hmm. engaged and grew through your career, which uh, um, you know, I think really adds to how you contribute in your role. Learning on the job, I think, is so important, right? It makes us who we are. And so you actually transitioned um, to a zero trust framework in not yeah. one, not two, but three of your previous organizations. Can yeah. you explain a little bit of why you thought zero trust was the right call in each of those instances? <laughs> then there should be a disclaimer before I, before I do that. So my, my very first project was to, to exit Zscaler so, because I, I didn't see the value in it. So, so I was like, okay, this, this is... We should get this out, right? You know, what is it actually doing for us? But uh, as you point out, I'm, I'm fairly hands-on. So I just wanted to understand, like, what, what is the value of this? It wasn't used in the, it wasn't used as I, as I evolved it. So, so the way it was being used in the organization it was just being used on the Wi-Fi. So that's why I was kind of targeting, let's get this out. Like, what, what the heck have we got this thing on our Wi-Fi for? Um, but as I started to unpack it, I was like, oh, Oh, it does that. And I, and, and, and the, and the penny started dropping me. I was like, I'm there. I'm developing. And these DLP agents running on my, on my MacBook are like zapping through 60% of the resources on my box. And I'm like, this is painful. And then, and then, and then this other antivirus software is going to grab another 30% of it. And then the EDR grabs the last little bit. And I get like 2% left to do some work with. And, and it occurred to me that a zero trust network architecture should be a, and, and and the other thing is like you can abuse any technology but that combined with a proper strategy around how you have data how you lay out your 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 network how you segregate that that would be a very powerful tool by itself actually in reducing a whole ton of risks so so i i i went to take it out and i ended up pivoting and saying actually so, so i also had other bits of data. I had like a, a, a audit, a, a cyber audit for a VPN. And the list of the, if anyone wants to know why you should have a zero trust network, go audit your VPN. You probably got a flat network behind it. It will scare the life out of you how easy it is to work through a VPN and, and take an entity out. And as soon as you bring something like Zscaler in, it does a load of other really nice things. And, and here's another little consequence of it so it's a very short story 
I, I remember writing an algorithm that went live after something called Mifid in, in the UK. And it was making a significant sum of money each day. And I got a little congratulatory email from someone very seen, seen in the back. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That, you know, I'm really happy with that. Somebody else rolled out a version upgrade for BlackBerry, right? So this is a little while ago. And the whole organization erupted with euphoria. Like, wow, you know, the internet actually works on my BlackBerry. And I just thought, how unfair, you know, that, that I did all this work and it's making all this money and someone does a version bump on BlackBerry and they're, they're like getting carried out on the shoulders. And, and Zscaler has that same uplift, right? It, it, if, you, if you actually roll it out properly, the, the uplift for your colleagues is massive. They're going on holiday and they're trying to VPN back so they can get onto the network to get to office which is in the US, you know, and the, and this whole trial, you know, traversing and hairpinning the globe to get to SaaS services. And you go on Zscaler and they're like, wow, it works. Or they open a new office in a new country and they're like, this works. So you, you end up looking like, like you're really clever and really awesome just by dropping a, an agent on the endpoint of your laptops. You know, you made a point about the VPN. Um, one of the things in my former role, and, and our listeners know, you know, I was a, um, before I came to Zscaler, I was on the customer side and spent my whole career on the customer side in, a, in, in various roles. And one of the things in my last role that scared me was with the VPN is we did not know if anyone was in the network. How do you know someone's in your network that shouldn't be in your network until something alerts you of something? And by that point, how long have they been there? And where did they go? And what have they touched? And what did they leave? And you're, you're sitting in war rooms, right, trying to figure all that out because, to your point, most networks are flat, yes. right, um, or using VLANs or ACLs and, and, or firewalls. And let's face it, a lot of times firewalls are Swiss cheese anyhow. Yes. Um, so, so I can totally but, relate with that. But on, but on that point, it's even more profound than that. What, what people might not appreciate is that most companies tier their system. So they have a tier one and they throw a bunch of cyber tools at it. They go, mm -hmm. this is tier we must protect that. Then they go down to tier three, tier two, tier three, because they haven't got enough money to put these tools everywhere. So they say, we're on the in the knock or the sock, we will alert if someone touches this tier one. But the thing is, if you're going to hack, you're not going to tier one straight away, right? You're going to go to tier three and you're going to dwell there and watch that flow on this flat network for as long as possible. And I was actually talking to, uh, I was talking to some senior people and they were saying like, we we should you know we should we should have different you know tiering from a cyber perspective and that's the other thing the beauty of zscaler you don't need to do that you don't you everyone sits in the same tier in the same band with the same policies and the, and, and the same enforcement you don't just say this is a high risk user i'm going to i'm going to do this that and the other with them uh the big problem with the dwell time on a flat network is most of the cyber defenses are tiered and, and so your point is spot on. They can sit somewhere for ages undetected uh, looking at tier one assets. So when you look at your, the organizations you've done this in and, and you've rolled out zero trust again, connecting, you know, when you think about it's the least privileged access, right? Making sure who should be able to see and connect to something. What were some of the challenges and lessons learned? And were they unique to each of those organizations or were they similar across the board, what you found? That's a, that's a good question. I've got, I've got a couple of 
rabbit holes to go down to answer to answer that one. So if you, uh, I, I worked at AWS for a little while and they've embedded zero trust in their organization. It's kind of in their DNA, right? So so that's what you want for any most organizations. But the, unless you're a hyperscale cloud provider, you're probably not going to be there. So what challenges of going from, of, be, of being essentially born again into zero trust, to be born in it, to know it and only live in it is one thing, right? You get used to it. But if you've built your whole stack on a flat note and you say, okay, I'm going to start segmenting, I'm going to start carving these things up, um, it generates a bunch of issues. And I can talk through a few of them. Fantastically, ZDX really helps with that, actually, right? So that is one of the real differentiated parts of the Zscaler suite is actually having some level of telemetry. I saw uh, the recent announcement about the machine learning to say, hey, this is what's going on in, in, in your in your place. The enforcement side of it is just as fascinating as the actual kind of cross and network routing for me as well. The first, the first people that will dislike Zscaler quite a lot or any zero trust network architecture is software developers and and that's not because they have an issue with zero trust it's actually just comes down to cert pinning um all, almost all of the services that they use like aws's cli or pip or uh, anything that they use uh, java for example when they run those things they will have to insert this the zscaler or whatever the product is the cert on, onto that product because most of the so most of the tools and the utilities we use do not use keychain, um, and and so that creates that creates a lot of pain. If you have ten versions of Java, you've got to do it times ten. So so the first person to start moaning, and, and what you shouldn't do as an organization is start bypassing. So the devs will come to you and say, "Hey, uh, I can't get AWS because it's giving me this cert error." The temptation is just to go, "Well, there's a bypass rule. Off you go. You can carry on." I'd watch that very, very carefully. You're 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 doing what we you're bringing a file. You're you're making Zscaler firewall, and you're starting to drill those holes in it and and bypass those policies. So, um, in general, we we are focused on writing scripts that will just put the cert wherever it should be, and and that's definitely something that would be a very valuable addition, you know, from from an on ramp perspective. The 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 colleagues in the organization feel good. Like they actually, it blows their mind. Like they like, how do how do I dial in to Zscaler? It's, like, it's a bit like you know remember when we had those dial-up internet things. I don't know if that was and it used to make are, that. Hard. Yes, you are dating us, Andrew. Yes. <laughs> it used to make that terrible screaming sound, and they're like, and you get onto what was it AOL or something. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm a, and 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 that's kind of like a VPN, right? People, people, those of you who haven't been on zero trust network architecture, you're in the dial-up internet world, where you just don't realize it right now, right? So your internet is from a backhaul to your head office, and, and it's not a good place for, for your organization or your staff to be. So they love Zscaler. They're like, and I opened my laptop, and Outlook worked. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like semi-euphoric. Like, right. I get emails without going through a two-factor, and, and they're like, is it even safe? They're like oh, often saying, "I'm not sure if this is safe." You know, like a, I can I and 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 that 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 is that is that, you know the, the, those. I think if people left a company that had a zero trust net, trust net network architecture and had to go back to a VPN, there'd be like a, a big slump in their in in their morale. So the the, the staff in general love Zscaler. They love uh, once you get it set up. 
from a rollout perspective, I approached it the same way each time. And that wasn't a mistake. I, you, I've definitely seen people get that wrong. So if you are overzealous in your, in, in your boundaries that you want to bring in, <clears throat> you will create a lot of harm. Uh, and and you'll and you'll and, and what happens is any organization has an appetite for for outages they have a budget if you want to look at it that way if you start chewing through that by putting like over going from zero segmentation to like segmenting down at a, like a serverless level you you are going to cause absolute carnage so our our general principle would be to copy the existing boundaries actually day one and get the thing working and get everyone comfortable with it. And then what we do is each day, we'd make a small policy change say, who is using this asset? That's the first question. Put them in a group, right? And create an onboarding process for anyone else who wants to do it. That's not a, that's not a, that's not a pervasive change. That's not gonna cause outages and it's, it's a fairly easy to manage. And then we go, by the way, should they be in the group, right? And, and so that, there's a little bit of change management. And if you do it that way, you, you should roll out. I mean, I, I've rolled out in companies with 40,000 people or 20,000 people. It, you know, you should be targeting a rollout in three months. You, that, that should be where your head is. You might not get there, but budget that window. And then you should like right size. And you shouldn't start stripping out security controls during the rollout. Like Zscaler will sit side, other than a VPN, you can VPN over Zscaler if you have to, but keep that flexibility, allow staff to exit Zscaler to turn it off, right? And then ask them, why did you do that? And then yeah. fix it. And so so we we hardened it afterwards, after the rollout, and it, and it was a very low impact in terms of friction and, you know, sort of outages or, or, or accidental um, intent, I guess. So Andrew, you, you hit on a couple key points. One, number one, you dated both of us <laughs> in our age. No, but, but you know, so many of us were, when you went from a old technology and you converted to a new technology, you do the scream test, right? And, and the listeners know we've talked about the scream test before. You flip the old technology off, you flip the new one on, and you wait to see, does anyone scream? Did you break anything? Yeah. I think when you, you you've, you've highlighted a point of, when you move to the right zero trust architecture, you're able to live in a coexistent manner yeah. and actually deploy it very tactically. Let's face it, many organizations have developers and developers are so important to the organizations and yet they want as much freedom as possible to do what they need to do to advance the business, right? So how do you do that safely, securely, and ultimately give them flexibility? And going back to your point in, you know, you said it so nicely. It's about the flexibility of the architecture to be able to continuously optimize it and get to where you ultimately want to be um, mm -hmm. from a zero trust perspective. So many are if or that, right? Um, and more stringent about how you get there. So moving on, in, in you being in South Africa, right? Um, I'm sure in being in the baking industry, the U.S. for us, um, really our banking industry right now is really under a microscope, right? There have been some recent high-profile collapses here. Is the situation similar in South Africa? And, and what's the unique pressure you're all feeling in the banking industry? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, if you, I think 
It's broader than the US. We've obviously seen a Swiss bank also uh, uh, go into distress. It looks like a couple of German banks might be suffering. So I think I think I think fundamentally we're all the same. Like the interest rate hike, I wouldn't say it caught anyone by surprise because kind of everyone knows it's not going to stay so low forever. Yeah, I think the speed at which it went up might might have caught caught some institutions off guard, and I guess ultimately the end consumer that we lend into uh they could easily have been caught off guard as well and then and then you could you, you know you can you can definitely see absolutely globally strain not just with inflation uh, uh, as well but that you know the whole economics of banks are just a uh, a service you know a service provider to 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 the broader economy so if the economy's doing great Typically, the banks are doing well as well, and if they're not, then then the, then the converse is true. So, so yes, we have the exact same problems that everywhere else has. The regulatory structure in South Africa is is slightly different. Uh, it is it is quite conservative, and I think that that does help when when the economy uh, is is not in a good place. Um, so, I I don't I don't hear of uh, the and there's also not that not as many banks, you know. So. So we have like probably five big banks. Their balance sheets are super healthy, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's it's a pressure, right? So whether it's an existential pressure, we can debate that. But for certain, every single one of the banks globally now, I can't imagine a bank that's waking up in the morning going, "Yeah, it's going to be a cracking year," uh, right. and I don't think we're exempt from that. So, bringing this all together here, what? advice would you offer a peer who's either embarking on their zero trust transformation or considering to do so? The things that I think will should force uh, you to think more seriously about that. And uh, in, in certainly in my, in where I am right now, there's a absolute, almost, almost like pandemic level of hacking going on. On and and it used to be smaller institutions, but they but that's kind of building up into bigger and bigger institutions. And you know, so government entities are a target. You see that obviously the the, the war has, has created a, like a, a quite a lot of hacking activity as well. And so so the the you know the first the first view is you you've got pressure, you've got financial pressure. We understand that, but you have to be a bank, right? And, and in order to be a bank, you you need to make sure that you you are safe and that you're not burning trust and that you're not dealing with either with data loss, which can come because your staff are under pressure. You know, maybe they're in financial distress and they're look, you know, they're and uh, and they and, and there might be pressure on them to repay their loan and 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 you see that, right? Uh, you right, Google it and you can see that uh, colleagues within banks are potentially up uh, selling on selling their data or accidentally installing software that is like leaking the organization's data. So the first thing is like, you don't want to be in that movie as an organization. You you want to have, it's not, it's a very hard thing to stop. Data loss is, is the first thing, but uh, it, it's not a great thing to be in in this environment right now where you're you're spilling your customers' uh, information on, on the internet. The next thing is, I'd, I'd say bit, probably bigger than that, you could argue, uh, is there is a lot of federated workforce now um, post-COVID and we we still even even organize my organization right now has a <clears throat> kind of in the office three days a week and that's great but we also we we also want that that flexibility and we see that there's productivity associated with that putting those colleagues at home at the end of a vpn is not only a bad experience but you know you're going through their network to get there 
And I, I, I would argue that, that that is not a great position for your organization to be in with the amount of threats that are going on right now. So, yeah, I would say if, you, if you're thinking about it, like just look at, you have to think about things like ransomware as well. Like I, I worked in a company where we bought ransomware protection. So we took, I think it was about eight petabytes of storage and we had to figure out how to duplicate that in, in you know, on all the deltas and whatever to, to cover for ransomware. Zscaler removes a huge portion of that risk. You take your end user state essentially away from your data center, you segment them. And so I, I would say that if, if you look at all your projects, you're never going to stop doing cyber work, especially in this environment that we sit in right now. I can't think of a project that would deliver you more organizational health and more risk out than a zero trust network architecture. And that's really for any industry. I mean, let's face it, everything you just covered is for really any industry out there because you see various industries all being attacked. Um, the attacks are getting worse. And I think the other point you kind of made, and I want to want to pull out a little bit is, I think so many thought for so many years that I'll just keep piling on more and more cybersecurity tools. I'm just going to keep adding to the arsenal. In my, in, you know, in, in my own previous experience, I found that once you start unraveling all those various tactical solutions you, you layered on, that actually left vulnerabilities that we didn't really realize we had because it became so complicated to operationalize everything. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and they actually fight with each other. So that so, so the, the tools start wrestling with each other, you know, for for CPU for resources. If there's a file that they don't like, um, uh, my my preference is, uh, you know, and it's a personal preference. I am a fan of EDRs. I think I think there's there's definitely a, a space for that. And in, in, I think about my cyber stack and a zero trust network architecture, and then I'm kind of done. Right, so so uh, there is a uh, is a there is a little spot for DLP when you start thinking about you, you know USBs being plugged. Our cyber state is is very focused and very targeted. It is not spray and pray. I think there's a lot. What we also do as well, and this is this is a really something I'd recommend people to do is we test hypothesis. So so we say okay, we've got all these cyber tools, right? I can I get, can I accidentally leak data? Let's test that. So I, so we have people that will try and exfiltrate that to a, a and so we, we, we have, we've come up with some really interesting internal strategies to spot that. And funny enough, we actually found somebody was doing it by, by, by mistake because we, we ejected a record into a database that wasn't a real person. And we found that record leaving that, that colleague's device. And, and so, so put your, put your tools in, don't spray and pray and then start flexing it and saying, will it stop this? And you go, yeah, I expect it to, and prove it. And will the knock, for example, if you've got a knock or something, do they even see the alerts? I, I was in a company that was generating close to about 30,000 alerts a day. And they had they had an event, and somewhere in those 30,000 alerts was definitely something saying, you know, this is a problem, but 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 they they couldn't process that amount. So as soon as you start not just operationalizing it, like the signal to noise ratio of all these tools with all these different policies means that if there is something going on, you're probably not going to see it. I just love that, and and, and we're going to leave our listeners with that last thought: don't spray and pray. Right? Don't spray <laughs> and pray. <laughs> love yes. that. 
thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great conversation, a little insight into South Africa's banking industry and some of the challenges that um, are there and how Andrew has actually worked through them in multiple organizations. With that, I'd like to thank you all for listening. I also want to remind you, um, if you have not heard and if you have not signed up yet, please, Zenith Live, uh, Zscaler's annual user conference is quickly approaching. It'll be held this year in the Americas in Las Vegas, which was there last year too. For those of you who joined us, we had a great event last year and we're looking forward to this year. On June 12th through the 15th, it'll be held at the Aria Resort and Casino. And for EMEA, we are actually going to be in Berlin, Germany this year at the Intercontinental, June 27th through the 29th. We hope that you can all join us who's listening out there. It'll be a great, both events are going to be phenomenal and great content, phenomenal speakers and actual customers that will be able to help show you how their journey changed their organizations. Take care. Thanks for listening to Cloudy with a Chance of Trust. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find Lisa Lorenzen and Pam Kubiatowski on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com or on LinkedIn. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult with your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2022.